Welcome to the Sisters in Service podcast. My name is Kat Corchado, also known as the voice connecting women veterans nationwide. This podcast is for anyone connected with the military, from veterans, male and female, military spouses, military brats, even parents who may have children who are in the military. As an Air Force veteran, I understand the trials and triumphs that women veterans go through in service and out of service. And so I wanted to find a way that I could put it out there into the airwaves and let everyone know what we're going through and find a way and a solution to what's happening to us in the service. I also like to highlight these women who are business owners, they're entrepreneurs, they're bosses in their business. And so I hope that you will follow me, you will share And you will subscribe to this podcast, which comes out every week on Tuesdays. And as always, please stay safe. Take care of each other until next time. And it's never too late to start your impossible. Welcome to another episode of Sisters in Service Podcast. I am your host, Kat Corchado, and my guest today is Caroline Walsh. And she is my first Coastie. She's a Coast Guard veteran. She's also a PhD student at the University of San Diego. She is the assistant director of military, at the military veterans program at the University of San Diego. And she's an author. Yes, we'll talk about that. And she's also a former CIA analyst. So this should be kind of interesting. Oh yeah. And she's a comedian. She does stand up. So let's see how this all mashes together and see what we come up with. Caroline, welcome to Sisters in Service. Hi, Kat. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So I have to tell you, you are my first Coastie. And this is, you know, out of almost two years, it'll be two years that I've been doing the podcast next month. So you're my first Coastie. So tell us a little bit about what attracted you to being a Coast Guard. I would be able to serve and also be by the ocean and be a little more connected to the ocean than what um, the Navy service seemed like it would allow. Um, So I was, I was drawn to that doing rescues and being on the water was really appealing to me. So in other words, you picked the Coast Guard. The Coast Guard didn't pick you. I guess, yeah, that's (laughs) (laughs) So you like being by the water. I'm I'm surprised that you didn't get um, a career field where you were actually in water or, you know, I mean, I don't know how the Coast Guard works. It's, it seems like it's an enigma. It's kind of over there. And so, um, it just, it seems like it's such a small unit of the military. Is that true? It is. It's really small. I think the fact that puts in perspective is there are more NYPD police officers than Coast Guard members. Wow. Well, that's a fact for you. I I did not know that. Yeah. So it's a very small service. So, I mean, in a a good way, it's, it's, you know, you really have to, you don't have to, but it benefits you to treat people well and be kind and be respectful because you'll probably see that person again in your career. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Very soon. They might be your supervisor, (laughs) your commanding officer. You're like, oops. Yeah, so there's no, like, drop the mic, burning bridges. That doesn't really serve the Coast Guard. If you're in the Coast Guard, that probably won't serve you very well. Right. Is it easy to make rank in the Coast Guard? It's actually very slow often because of how small it is. Uh, Mm. 
yeah, in my experience, it, it took a really long time for me to even get to that first A school training just because the wait list is really long. And then the funding is not always there. So they can't always do as many training schools as they want. Um, so it's, yeah, it's a much, it can be a much slower process if you're in a certain rating that's like very desirable or has a lot of interest. So what was your job when you went in? Did you get to pick what you wanted to do? And I eventually did make it to Intel school. Uh, but first, unless you are in like a billet that really needs people quickly, first you go to a unit and you're just a general deck officer or um, you're working in the engine room, one or the other, until you're on, until you like make it down the list or up the list to go to. Your <laughs> so I ended up being in a small boat station for the first three years of my service before I got to go to Intel school. So what was your first duty station and did you like it? My first station was Montauk, New York. And so that's like the very Eastern part of Long Island. It was a tough position. I loved the town. Like, I loved Montauk. I thought it was really interesting. It's like where Jackson Pollock did his artwork nearby, and you could take the train to New York City. So I liked the location, but the unit was pretty toxic, um, and it was pretty tough place to navigate as a woman and then also somebody brand new to a, an organization um, I didn't know how to like navigate toxicity. I didn't know how to kind of do the reporting of what was happening the right way. Um, so it was, it was pretty challenging. So let's talk a little bit about you being the assistant director at the at University of San Diego military veteran program. What was attractive about that to you? Did they, was it an offer? Did you say, wow, that's really cool. Or did you, did they make a position for you? I love that when, when, it, when that happens. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it's a great position. I had been doing the federal work study program as a a PhD student and then working in the center as a grad student. Um, And then the director moved on to another job. So the assistant director moved up to that position and then the assistant director position was open. So um, it worked out well because I was already working in the center and doing some program assessments and doing a little bit of the deeper work. Um, with the center as a grad student. So it allowed me to have access to more information and uh, I feel like I can have a bigger impact now that I'm a staff member. I love that military presence on, well, not military, but veteran presence because, you know, a lot of times veterans, from what I've heard when they go to school, they don't identify as veterans, not really. And so it's kind of nice to know that it's there if they need it. You know what I mean? Yes, it's great. And yeah, walking around campus, you can see the difference. I mean, the age difference, the difference in experience. So I think it's really great to just be able to sit and relax and connect. Um, You don't have to be in the library by yourself all day between classes. Like you can come to the center and socialize a little bit with people who, you know, kind of Mm -hmm. understand you on a different level. So what does the program do? Like if I, if I walked into that part of the college, what is, you know, what is there for me? Like if I'm just, I just walk in, I was like, oh, I saw veteran. <laughs> right. Yes, you do have that. <laughs> Aside from kind of the administrative stuff of making sure everybody's benefits are processed mm-hmm. correctly, 
Um, we have free coffee in the center. We have a lounge area and we also have a study room. So um, we just have a space where you can either kind of sit quietly and read and do homework or you can chat and, you know, have your lunch um, with some other people and just get to know who else is on campus. Yeah, I love that. So let's change just a little bit and let's talk about your comedy. So when I saw that, or when I learned about you being a stand-up comedian, I saw your bio and it was like, you know, former CIA analyst. And I was like, wow, there's a lot of jokes there. Not saying that CIA (laughs) is funny, but it's such, they're on opposite ends of the spectrum. So what was it that made you want to go into comedy? I I went to a show and the comedian just really resonated with me and I thought to myself that I, I thought I think I can do this. Um and so it's kind of serendipity that I saw the Armed Service Arts Partnership um put on open mic and I had just, you know, kind of walked by and seen a flyer. Um so I think those two things together made me just be like, you yeah, know, why not? Um I just kind of, I just kind of had like this little drive in me to give it a try. So have you always been funny? I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm funny on occasion when I happen to not even, I'm not even trying to be funny and it comes out funny. Um, But to, you know, to, to, that's hard to get on a stage and make people laugh because they're just staring at you like, yeah, make me laugh. That's got to be difficult, I would think. It's pretty (laughs) nerve-wracking, especially the first time. Once you know which jokes work, you you know which ones you can go to if you're kind of on the (laughs) downhill trend Mm -hmm. to laugh. Um, But it's, uh, it's, it's pretty empowering. I think I've always, I'm very introverted. So for me, I might say something funny to the person next to me and they'll laugh, but I was never like that loud person in the room making everybody laugh. Um, so it's funny to have the opportunity as a comedian. So I'm going to go back to something you said about that first time. What is that like? The very first time you're on stage, you get up there, they announce your name, you walk up there, people are clapping and then silence. What? Tell me what you were thinking or what you were feeling that very first time when you were up there. It is just an adrenaline rush. And I can picture it still in my mind because the venue we were at had really bright lights. So even though there were 50 people in the audience, I could not see anybody. It was just lights and then black. And so it's funny how it's kind of like the military, you, you have this adrenaline rush and you just rely on your training. So we had, uh, in the class I took, we had practiced our sets over and over and over again. And so that first time I was, I was not in an improv mode. I was just kind of automatically giving out the jokes and then forcing myself to pause because there's more laughter than there is when you practice by yourself. Um, so you have to say don't rush don't rush don't rush I got 20 minutes to be up here (laughs) exactly and I kind of blacked out like at the end I was like I think I said a joke wrong and then I listened to the audio and I was like no I said it exactly right I just had this little freak out um but yeah it's it was really fun really rewarding really empowering 
It's it it almost seems like everything's magnified. Like when you're on the stage by yourself, everything is like in like 3D. You know, you remember all of this stuff. You're like, was I funny? Did they laugh? You know, that type of thing, you know, but obviously it went well or else we wouldn't be here talking to you right now. Yes, it went well. And then the next time I did it, I was a little more present in my body and mind and I could really enjoy it and slow down and like get the feedback from the audience. Um, So yeah, after that first time, you can really it's more of an experience that you're sharing with someone instead of just like you on the stage being like very nervous. Now, have you ever been on stage and been heckled or had an issue while you were on stage and had to overcome it? I have never been heckled. Uh, what? You, she's that good folks. <laughs> <laughs> I think the worst experience, it was at an open mic um, down in San Diego and it, I got on really late in the, the open mic and nobody was there. And so it was just me and like maybe five people in this big space. And the jokes just don't land when there's that much space. So I had to just kind of get through it. And it was, it felt really awkward. And I just, I was like, well, at least I, I mean, it was, it's good practice, but it, it just, it didn't feel that great. Is it true that you're not always going to land the jokes that you tell, like it works in one audience, but not another? Or do you find that all the jokes that are funny work across the board? I think there's some that work across the board and like the armed service arts partnership, like when we teach classes and now I'm an instructor and we we really try to, to help people communicate so that everybody gets the joke. Um, cause we do have a lot of veterans, but you have to recognize, well, it might not all be all that veterans in the crowd. So maybe you need to explain this a little bit more and then you'll get more laughs. So I think, yeah, there's definitely, you know, regional or cultural differences, but I, I think if you really work on it, you can get, you can get a lot of laughs from everybody. Absolutely. So give us a little bit more information about the armed service art partnership. How did that help you become a better entertainer? It helped me, it gave me my voice. And so it helped me start processing my military experience a little bit more deeply and sharing it with people in a different way. Um, so I think it, it, it really gave me this comedic voice. And then also just literally like going up on stage and speaking and being articulate or, you know, having to struggle a little bit in that and getting better really was really helpful for not only the comedy aspect, but also for my job, for public speaking, for doing briefings, um, for just, you know, networking and talking to people. It's been really useful. Who is eligible to be at the Armed Service Art, Art Partnership? So, is it all kinds of art? Um, is it just specific types of art or is it across the board? It's all kinds of art. So we're based out of DC, but we have branches in a couple places. And then we have online classes as well. So we have comedy, storytelling, writing, and then in person in DC and Virginia Beach, we have like some more, I don't know, physical arts, painting, drawing. Um, and, Service members are eligible. 
veterans, active duty, and then also their spouses or their children or caretakers. We really try to bring in the whole community. I love that. I'll make sure that that's um, on the show notes so people can kind of go to the website if they want to check that out. Where are you doing live stand-up just in the area? Are you going to be traveling the country or tell us what's going on? Yeah, right now I'm very San Diego based. We just opened the Armed Service Arts Partnership branch here. So we have our fall semester starting, actually I think next week. Um, So we'll have our semester starting. We're going to host some open mics throughout the next couple of months. And we have a grad show at Mic Drop Comedy Venue in San Diego in November. Um, so that's all San Diego. And then I think there's some online classes going on as well, but yeah, I'm not sure. I'm kind of bound here with my PhD work. And <laughs> so we're going to be able to call you Dr. Caroline Walsh here soon. Soon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Congratulations on that, by the way, that's, I, yeah, me in school. I mean, I was okay student, but I, mm. It just wasn't my thing. And, you know, that's okay. Well, I I guess it has to be (laughs) because I'm not going back to school right now. So I know that you're an author and your book is called Fairly Smooth Operator, My Life Occasionally at the Tip of the Spear. What is your why for writing that book? My why was explaining my stand-up comedy set further. So the book started out as the five-minute comedy set. I started taking each joke and writing the story behind the joke. And so I really wanted to give more depth to why this was funny and actually like what was not funny about it and just tell more of the story that people could receive a little bit better than something like very, very serious. So did you know you were going to be an author or did you just put some stuff together and all of a sudden you're like, oh crap, this could be a book? Or was you, or were you intentionally writing the book? It, it eventually became intentional. It very quickly became intentional because um, it gave me a goal and it, it gave me like the structure to keep writing. I love that. Wow, you're just... You're jack of all trades here, man. I mean, so you're a former CIA analyst. How long were you an analyst? I worked as an analyst for two years. And yeah. Was it an environment that you liked? I mean, was I, I just, uh, forgive me, but I feel as though it's very like hush, hush, very, you know, you're in your little corner in your cubby, you're doing your things. And I only ask that because my husband was an Intel analyst in the air force and, you know, he say, Oh yeah, you know, we had to even now <clears throat> umpteen, I'm sorry, 20 plus years later, you know, he's like, Oh yeah, you know, that was, that was my country. I talked about that. You know, I had to brief generals and I was like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it's, it, you know, being a CIA analyst just seems kind of counterintuitive to comedy. Yeah, I think what people might not realize, not every office, but many offices at the CIA, you can actually be really creative. Um, even in the counter-terrorist office, you're brainstorming 
the most wild things you can think of to try to prevent or be prepared for if they happen. Um, so I actually, I found it to be a very expansive process and very collaborative as well. I mean, I think maybe the old school CIA analyst was you and your cubby doing all the work yourself, but there's a huge realization, I think, across a lot of government services that if you're not collaborating, you're not getting all the info, you're not, um, you're not really helping keep us safe if you're just in, in your own little cubby doing your own thing. That's true. Um, I guess it's, it's different across the services. I don't know. It's kind of similar, but anyway, I'm sorry. I'm just talking because <laughs> I always make fun of my husband because he's so like straight laced and, you know, so I, I act silly just to make him laugh and he'll just shake his head and I go, you want to laugh. I know you want to laugh. <laughs> so, um, I'm usually funny when I don't intend to be funny. That's what, that's what I'm talking about. So being an introvert, you know, I was, I looked this up the other day and there are people who are introverts, people who are extroverts, but there are people who are right in the middle. Like sometimes they're introverts and sometimes they're not. Um, How hard is that as an introvert to go up on stage or just be in front of people? It's really draining. So for me, it's, enjoyable but it takes so much of my energy so I find that the day before it I'm very focused I'm I'm not very talkative because I know I have to go up on stage and then the day after I mean if it's like a big intense show I am just kind of a shell of myself (laughs) you're like I I can't even make complete sentences right now (laughs) yeah So for anyone who's listening, who might be thinking that they want to get into some arts, they're just not sure what it is they're good at. Um, What kind of advice would you give them? I would say try to find some free workshops. So I'm sure there's other organizations, but ASAP, the Armed Service Arts Partnership, we have like three-hour workshops you can try. So that's a little bit less of a commitment than, you know, an eight-week-long course. Um, and that you don't have to, you know, commit weekly to it. You can just, if you can find that chunk of time, I would recommend that. I think, too, um, when I was looking, even when I was living in Virginia, there was, um, there's, some, there's a, an art place in Alexandria I would say, like, explore your local place. Ask me if you're military, see if there's a military discount. And I think just commit to, like, a one-time workshop and see if it works for you. And so for those people that want to be an author, like, I always talk to people that are like, oh, this was a labor of love and it was really difficult. How easy was that process for you? I'm only asking because I just entered what's called um, a new author intensive. It's called NAI by Holly Totten, one of my friends. So I'm going to give her a shout out. And there seems to be so much thought to put in, you know, why you want to write the book. What's the book about? You know, I'm like, oh, my God. So when someone wants to, you know, thinking about being an author, what, how did you start? You know, because some people say, oh, I just can't write stuff down. What, how did you start doing it? I think 
it benefits to have a little bit of structure up front. So I had my stand-up comedy set that gave me structure, and then I filled it in. Um, so whether that structure is like the highlights that you want to talk about and then figuring out how to make those into an arc. Um, I think having a little bit of structure and then, yeah, finding a class or a writing group and really being open to feedback. So I think I was lucky being a CIA analyst. I would write things and get it back and just entirely redline. So I <laughs> no, to, I, no, no. <laughs> You're like, okay. <laughs> so I think um, not taking edits personally is a huge part of the process in writing. Just be ready to, because it's, it's all going to make you better. Um, so I think having structure, being open to feedback, and if you're a doer, don't think too hard, just start doing. That's how I am. I know some people are more planners. I'm like a little bit in between. Um, so I think, I think just like doing, committing to a chapter and seeing how that feels and seeing where that leads you, I think is also a really interesting way to go about it. I've heard, I've also heard people that, you know, some people say, I just can't write stuff down, but you know, I've even heard people that use their notes, you know, they'll, they'll transcribe it or they'll speak into their phone, you know, and, and just, you know, get it out there. It doesn't have to be perfect, but at least get it on paper. So I think there's a lot of different ways to go about this. I thought that you had to actually sit down and just write and now I realize that you don't have to do that. There's other ways to do it. I think the other thing I found too is that, you know, I believe that everyone has a story, but now I realize that people have lots of stories. It just depends on which stories you want to tell. And right. so I think everybody has at least one book in them somewhere, somehow, and it's just sitting down or not sitting down or walking and talking or whatever it is that suits your fancy and just getting it out there on paper and not getting upset when someone redlines your stuff. <laughs> I think, I think that's the moral of the story right here. Um, Caroline, this has been such a pleasure. How can people find you? I think Instagram's probably the easiest way. Um, I think you can put in your show notes, but it's, Caroline Noel underscore art. That's the best way. And then if you want to talk further, message me and we can email or chat or, or whatever. Um, yeah, Instagram's kind of the first go-to for me. And what about your book? Where can we find your book? My book is on Amazon, Fairly Smooth Operator. And it's also Barnes and Noble. Ooh, big time. <laughs> That that's pretty cool. Um, you know, I've heard people that self-publish and people just say, yeah, I'm just going to go Amazon, but I haven't heard of anybody who is on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. So you're like a big deal. Thank you. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wants, I'm happy to talk to you like about the different writing processes, if anyone's curious or publishing processes. Um, there's so much, I still need to learn, but I at least understand some of the basics. So. Absolutely. Um, any last comments or anything you'd like to say to our audience before we go? Nothing major. I think, yeah, just thank you for having me on the show. And I hope if, if any of this strikes anybody or you want to talk more, please reach out. Well, thank you, Caroline, for being here today and, and you know, letting me pick your brain about this because I'm I'm really 
um, interested in writing a book at some point in my life. I'm not sure when, but um, for all my listeners, you know what I'm going to say, please stay safe, take care of each other until next time. And it's never too late to start your impossible.